Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you part two, How Shall We Respond, from the book Secret Believers, What Happens When Muslims Believe in Christ, by Brother Andrew and Al Jansen. And before we get started on part two, and the prologue, and the chapter, and all that stuff, I want to give you a little heads up that Brother Andrew does not use the authorized King James Bible version of God's Word. He uses other perversions, and um, so not uh, saying that he is not saved and has not put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and for the most part he does tell us what we're to do and how we are to go out and tell people about Jesus, even Muslims, and so there might be some times where I'm going to have to read the correct scripture and um, make some comments here and there and put some of my own commentary in some of this uh reading so please bear with me and uh hope and pray that uh you don't get too offended by me making some corrections and giving some of my own personal commentary as i go through these uh chapters here so let's get started amen all right so part two how shall we respond from the book secret believers what Happens When Muslims Believe in Christ by Brother Andrew and Al Jansen. And we'll start with this uh, little uh, thing here titled The Binding. They had buckled his bomb belt, though it was their duty, headed for the place. Halfway, he said, I don't want to die. Stuck to it, they turned to the road on which they had come. Ishmael, who spared himself, and Isaac who with shock, relief, his parents saw him back safe from the height of Moriah's mount, held him and kept him closely watched. They wait for the God of Abraham to provide a sacrifice. Pem Slutcher, P-E-M-S-L-U-I-J-T-E-R, Pem Slutcher, Prologue. How do you feel after reading about your brothers and sisters in the Islamic world? Excited about what God is doing? Worried about the ongoing situation and how Buchos and Nadira and Hamid and Salima and Layla and Abuna Alexander will do in the coming years? Both responses are appropriate. I hope also that you want to get personally involved at the minimum, I hope you are willing to pray for these people, realizing that this story represents thousands of others in similar or worse situations around the world. Maybe you will have the opportunity to encourage some of them with your letters. Surely we can't continue on blithely with life as usual when we learn about a part of the church suffering so severely. Maybe you're also thinking about the condition of the world these days, and wondering what the role of the church in the West should be. This is a growing concern as more and more Muslims make their home in Europe and North America. I'm concerned that currently the most common reaction to Islam is fear. I see it in public comments by various Christian leaders who malign Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. I see it in the war rhetoric spoken by politicians and military generals, it's expressed in the use of labels like Islam, f- fascism, 
and comparisons of Islamic fundamentalism to the rise of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. One respected Christian commentator, Gary Bauer, wrote the following on the fifth anniversary of the September 11 attacks. Critics are complaining that the Iraq War and the misnamed War on Terror have now taken as long as World War II, and we haven't won yet. Perhaps that is because we still haven't started fighting the way we did then to win. We are still more afraid of ACLU lawsuits and New York Times editorials than we are of the enemy who is dedicated to destroying Western civilization. This war has a long way to go, perhaps a generation. The day five years ago that we are com commemorating may not be the worst day we will experience before it is over. Surely more horror lies ahead and more testing before we will know whether we, the heirs of a great civilization, have inherited the courage and resolve to defend it. Gary raises important questions for us. He is right that we are in a war, but are we fighting the right enemy? Should we fear the world view of Islam? Is the only option to view it as a life-and-death struggle, as several writers have put it? Didn't the psalmist promise that the one whose heart is trusting in God, uh, Psalm 112.7, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Again and again, the scriptures exhort us not to fear, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Um, and then Peter says in 1 Peter 3.6, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And then um, Apostle John states in 1 John 4.18, 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. After reading the story in the first part of this book, I believe you understand better the challenges to the worldwide church that Islam presents. But it would be tragic if all we do is respond with fear and retreat. In these next few pages, I want to suggest what the persecuted church in the Islamic world is saying to Christians in the West. I, Andrew, believe the story you have just read presents us with four challenges. To love all Muslims by giving them the good news. To forgive when we're attacked. To live lives totally committed to Jesus Christ. And to engage in the real war, the spiritual war. To set up the first challenge, Al and I need to take you to a secret location on the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And that is where we conclude today. Next time, chapter 1 of part 2, How Shall We Respond?